Good morning, everyone. It is great to be able to spend this time with you, and I'd ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at verses 19 through 34 this morning. We're not going to be able to handle each one of these verses um, in detail. We're going to be taking an overview as we look at this salt and light series and answer hopefully some questions on what that looks like for us. But as you turn there, I just want to really thank every single person who helped make VBS week possible this past week. I tell you, it was wonderful to see so many faces, not just of the young ones, but of those that were helping. And it was amazing to hear some of the sacrifices. We're going to talk about eternal investments. And the truth is, this past week was probably one of the best examples of that. There were those that took vacation time to be able to be here to help. There were those that changed their schedules to be able to be here to help. There were those among you that no doubt invited families, kids to attend. There were a lot that came. We had 200 plus kids registered through the week, an average of 150 each day that attended. And like Pastor Ken mentioned, lots of seeds planted. Listen, it was amazing to see all that. Would you mind just giving them a hammer of applause really quick? What a sacrifice. So grateful, so thankful. Listen, the Lord works through his people. He's at work in our lives. He's worked through our lives. And I'm not sure what brought you here today. I'm not sure what happened this morning on your way. I'm not sure what your week looked like. You may be sitting there thinking, well, my week wasn't so great. But the truth is that he's at work even now as, as we look to this text. And through this series, I hope it's important um, to, to be reminded of God's great work even now as we look to Matthew 6. If you have your notes with you, you'll notice on the top, and maybe you've already filled in some of the blanks. I know maybe that could be entertaining to, to guess what those might be. Hopefully you can fill those in as we go. But the central message the central truth here this morning as a part of the Salt and Light series is that God is refining me, refining us, refining you to be investing in forever. Investing in forever. Every day is a gift. And investments are those things that we sacrifice in the moment for that long-term gain. You see, that's a problem with investments we all like the gain. We'd all love to have a really amazing retirement, but we also have to make the choice to give up in the moment what we'd rather hold on to in hopes that in the future we would see that return. Investments carry cost. You know, I was asked later uh, Friday night by one, how, how did the week go? We were praying all week that kids would really see and know the truth. And it was encouraging to hear those that even asked, so how many, how many came to know the Lord this past week? Those were ones that were invested in everything that was happening. The value that they had was on the outcome of those prayers, of those, that time, of that investment. The truth is, when we're young, we don't necessarily make these investments the best that we can. And as we looked last week, salt and light, we realized and maybe we, we have some impurities in our own life. We're not as salty as we may need to be. The central truth this morning is that God is refining us. You know, we're more and more salty as God removes some of that gypsum from our life. And if you weren't here for that message last week, I'd ask you to reference that. 
He's calling us to, to be salt. He's created us to be this salt in the earth. He's created us to be the light of the world and says, let your light shine. It's exclusive. There's no other answers. Jesus is the one and only way to know the Father, to be in heaven. There is no other way. There is no other truth. And if you look at your notes, I just ask you to turn that over on the back. There's a lot of small print there. I apologize. The space is limited. But just as an overview of the Sermon on the Mount and tracking discipleship through that, last week we tied in the realities of discipleship. The inner heart were different, defined by those that are meek, broken before the Lord, thirsting and hungering for righteousness. And then as we looked last week at the nature and impact of disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Shine and be that. Have salt in yourself. And then you see this craziness of the difference of true discipleship. If you were to just track down through your Bible and look at those headings, you would see these corresponding sections of Jesus' teaching. Discipleship fulfilling the law from the heart out, not just in action only. Warning against guarding against motives. Listen, those that just heard us clapping for them that were serving in VBS were probably saying, oh, Pastor Andrew, I wish you wouldn't do that. Listen, we're not doing these things for the applause of others, that they would be seen. And then we see in verse 19 through 34, this eternal investments, making them as well as the confidence, knowing that God will cover your needs. You do not have to be anxious for your daily needs. Be generous and know that your Father knows that you need these things. That's kind of the focus this morning. But as you go down and look at the rest of it, you see the warnings for discipleship. The warnings, listen, be very careful. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And hard is that path. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And easy is the path that the world calls you to. Be careful that you're in the way. Be careful that you don't follow false leaders. And of course, we know the children's story, even the song about the man who built his house upon the sand versus the man who built his house upon the rock. We forget that this is Christ's example of those who hear my words and do them. These words, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing in regards to discipleship and salt and light, obedience because of a changed heart, not an outward external conformity. Listen, the ones that hear my words and do them are like one man who built his house upon the rock. And when time and the trials of life blew against that house, it stood being shown to be rooted on a firm foundation. Discipleship. Take care in being a doer of God's word. The house will stand. Now the reason why this is so important is because it's, of course, the context of this statement to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. This statement, be salt and light. The warnings about what we are doing and how we're building our life, what foundation our house is built on, is just as important as saying you need to be careful where you invest. 
You know, we build our houses on a lot of things in life, and as believers, sometimes we don't realize how far off the foundation maybe that structure has gotten. Or maybe there's some of you that have heard the words of Christ, but haven't been doing them, and you realize maybe this morning, man, it really is on the sand. I haven't moved that building. I haven't begun to build on that foundation of obedience to His Word you know, we hear it, but we don't necessarily do it. This, this morning, it is raining, but it's also Independence Day weekend. And I'm reminded of those statements in our Declaration of Independence. And we celebrate the freedom. We have greater freedom here in the U.S. than anywhere in the world. That's why people still want to come here. At any point in time, as best we understand it in this human realm, and yet people are still so miserable. Some of us are still so miserable. Thomas Jefferson, I believe, wrote that we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men were created equal and that we have been endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are the rights to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, even in that statement, the pursuit of happiness is this ongoing, continual, constant vortex of a thing. Where do we ever find it? You know, in, in today's world, we live under this idea, collectively, in the U.S. especially, even with politics, that if I can just get what I want, then I'll be happy. And now that we're in a place that has so much of what we want, we're still not happy. So it must be the system's fault. Now we look to those areas that we haven't been allowed because it's been wrong or harmful. And we say, well, I got to have that. You got to let me have that. If, if I was free and I could have that which you say is wrong, then I would be happy. And the truth is, on the other side of even finding that is still more. It's not enough. Life is fleeing, fleeting. It's passing through our hands. And as Americans, maybe we struggle with this the most because we have access to the most. And as believers, we get sucked into these patterns of pursuits, looking for happiness in these things and not having our foundation really grounded on the Word and in service to Him. You know, I think of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at it later. You don't have to turn there now, but... It's on my mind. Where Paul says to Timothy, listen, be careful of your heart. The love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, the love of gain, the love of wealth is the root of all sorts of evil. And men in pursuit of it are, are drawn into many different things and many different desires that are harmful and are pierced through with many sorrows. They've wandered from the faith. And this is true of believers. Listen, we live in a world today that says that if you can't be the gender you want to be, you're not going to be happy. The sad thing is, is no matter what happens, no matter how you look, listen, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of folks on the other side of gender-affirming care that have been pierced through with many sorrows. Listen, wealth... Money, possessions, 
are the power to gain what we want. Money is the power to gain what we want. Whether a secure future because it's there in case you need it, or the moment when you trade it for something that you want. The, the heart of this is getting what we want and realizing that it's not enough. No, it's a wonderful thing to have freedom. And it's because of this freedom that we can stand here so publicly and speak of these wonderful things. We can go to our neighbors and we can invite them to know these wonderful things. We are free and we have so much wealth because of that. We can share that with many others that they would know these wonderful things. We're so blessed. But listen, if we're lulled into this American sense of liberty that drives worldly happiness, then truly we are those to be most pitied if we have missed that it's first in these wonderful things. You know, it's funny, Pastor Jim, as he finished up Ecclesiastes, was highlighting through the whole book, week after week after week, this one central truth. Solomon, who had it all, he built it all, he experienced it all, all the pleasures, all the accomplishments, all the wisdom, was sadly very foolish through his life. And at the end of it all, he looked back and said, I leave all the riches for somebody else. There's a very wealthy man I heard that, that died once and someone came along afterwards to one of his business associates and said, okay, what did he leave? The business associate looked to him and said, everything. He can't take it with him. We leave everything. And Solomon said, to who do I leave it? One who will just squander. This past week, I was officiating a memorial service, a funeral, and, and, and one of the things that was mentioned by the funeral director that didn't know the Lord was that we will always remember her. She will never be forgotten. No, that's not true. The cynic in my own mind realized, no, we're all forgotten. How well do I know my great-great-grandmother? She's a name on a sheet and a story that my parents and my grandparents carry down, but... Solomon realized, listen, it's a matter of time. How long does it last? We don't like thinking about these things, but the truth is, so often I'm living for now and not forever. It's fleeting. It's a matter of time. Even if I gain it, I leave it behind. There was an interesting book written by David Gibson on Ecclesiastes. And I, I have it sitting on my shelf. I pulled it out again, looked at it. Lovely book. It's dark blue letters on the front of it. And it says, living life backwards. Actually, it's life backwards is what it is, but living life backwards. And in it, as he begins to go through Ecclesiastes, this is what he says. He's like, I want to persuade you that only if you prepare to die... This is horribly morbid. You're like, hey, this is Independence Day. We're going to have a church picnic. VBS was amazing. And he's talking about death up there. Listen, if we aren't thinking about that day when we stand before a holy God, and trust me, each one of us will, we will not see that path clearly from there to then, from here to then. I want to persuade you that only if you prepare to die 
Can you truly learn how to live? How will I see these investments? How will I be willing to, to sacrifice and to pay those moments along the way if I'm not looking at the end that lay ahead? And so this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 6, I'd ask you to read along with me. We're asking this question, am I living life backwards? And before we read, I want you to be thinking about this. Am I living life backwards this morning? And I just want to say before we get into this, this message is not to say that you all are not giving enough to the church or that you are not investing enough in those lives around you. Listen, for all of us, this is convicting because there's ways in which we drift off of that foundation and we start building in other things in the worldly sands. The truth is, this is an amazing church. And this past week was evidence of that, but, but where am I? Am I living life backwards? Am I looking to now instead of forever? Or am I looking forever to show me how to live now? Let's turn our attention to verse 19. Chapter 6. This is Jesus as he continues the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, this is a command. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys, literally the eating, the eating there, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great, and this is an exclamation, oh, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, God and wealth, God and worldly possessions. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us to wisdom. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for those that you sent into our lives to share the truth, for the work of your spirit in our hearts that we would understand your truth. We thank you for the conviction as we look to you even now to keep us on that path of growing closer to you, refining us, pulling out of us more and more of those impurities, giving us understanding to how to, to shine for you in this dark world. Lord, I just pray you give us this wisdom that you draw our hearts closer to you. Make us wise as we look to you and as you guide us through even this time, we pray. In your son's name, amen. So as we look at Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus is calling us to consider and warning us to in regards to our investments revolve around the understanding of true value, real value. It's interesting, value is tracked in various ways. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but a number of centuries ago, there were Dutch tulips that were thought to be of great value, so much so that Denmark and 
Some of the surrounding nations considered moving their state currency to tulips. So you might say, this is crazy. Look it up. It's crazy when you think about it. We have pieces of paper in our pocket. Numbers and zeros, maybe not enough zeros, but numbers in a bank account. What value is it except a promise, an agreed-upon value, and you hope that it's worth more in reality? Recently, you know that that dollar is worth less and less. What is true value? The difference between fool's gold and real gold. I couldn't tell you the difference. There are those that can. I don't. Well, when Jesus says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasure, his desire for us is that we wouldn't. He's calling us to understand. This, this means literally treasuring up, storing up, treasuring up possessions of value here. He notes it's not very stable. The moth destroys all the clothing you lay up. I don't know if you noticed, but moths don't destroy the clothing you're wearing. I heard someone say once, it's, it's really funny, no one's standing there and says, oh, you know, slaps their shoulders, at, oh, it's a moth. No, it's what's laid up in the closet. You have mothballs to keep that from happening. Listen, it gets eaten. The eater destroys everything, huge grain stores. The vehicles we drive, we, we know this in New York, they just rot away. It's a matter of time. I always chuckle when I think of those that invest I'm about ready to use air quotes. Invest in a new vehicle. You're sitting there going, it's just going to rot. And they're so expensive. It's a crazy place to put our treasure. No, thieves can break in and destroy. Inflation can take what you've squirreled away. The stock market can wipe away what you thought you had. No, instead, he says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where you don't experience the loss. This idea of, of storing up more and more. Now listen, this doesn't mean you don't, you don't save for retirement. This doesn't mean that you don't put food in the pantry. This doesn't mean that you don't save for those things that are necessary, or even buy vehicles. The requirements of our age, it's life. No, this is the idea of looking to store and lay up as a place of value and of gain and of hope and of trust. Listen, there are so many that spend so much of their life for those golden years of retirement. They work so hard to get there. That's their hope. Listen, I want to ask a question this morning. Then what? Think about all the pursuits of happiness that we have. Even with the gender-affirming care and, and, and the money and the, the different things that now are legal here and legal there, okay, then what? See, it's the then what that comes back and really bites us because then happens. Then is going to happen. And so understanding true value is so critical. This passage is about materialism almost exclusively. I just want to be very clear about that. But when we look at this principle of eternal treasure and eternal value, I want to unpack what that really looks like. And Scripture talks a lot about this. Scripture talks, Jesus talks hundreds and hundreds of times through the Gospels about the issue of money and of human wealth in this world because it's such a pull on us. Why? Again, because it's the power to get what we want. The experience, 
the security, the possessions which wear out. Maybe we get new ones. It's never enough. Where my heart is, there will be my treasure. Listen, those that came and asked me, Pastor, how many people, how many kids accepted Christ this week? You know what they were doing? They were praying. That was where their heart was. You might even ask, I don't know, how do I lay up for myself treasure in heaven? Did you know just, just really praying for people is a great place to start? That's where your heart is. How are you doing with that? What's going on? I've been praying for you. Oh, that someone would come to know you a little better. We all really struggle in life, in our humanity. But we're there, called to be there, one another, as we walk through this. But the question about eternal treasure, what is truly eternal treasure? And there's going to be three main things here. I really just walk through passages speaking about this. And I know there's some blanks on the one side, and there's blanks on the other. I hope we can keep this straight. Well, what is truly eternal treasure? Well, it starts personally, first. It's very personal. Listen, if we don't start here, the rest of it doesn't connect. The truth is there is no greater treasure than the knowledge of the Lord, a submitted heart to who he is. And this isn't something that's obscure. And I'm trying to be disciplined with our time here this morning. There's so many passages that speak to this. But if you were to look at Isaiah chapter 33, you don't have to turn to every single one of them, but Isaiah chapter 33, verses 5 through 6, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He goes on to say, The fear of the Lord is truly Zion's treasure. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Just think about this. We're going to stand before the God of the universe, either as judge or as savior, We're going to stand before him to give an account as managers. That's a truly great treasure to have accountability and ask ourselves, how are we doing? The fear of the Lord in that accountability, but also the fear of the Lord in giving him reverence and awe and places. When he speaks, I listen. When he says there is, I believe it and I act because it is. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7, it says, The one who hears my words and does them is like one who builds his house on the rock. It will stand firm. It will be shown to be true and solid and grounded when those storms come through time. I like Luke chapter 12. And you can turn there if you like, but Luke chapter 12 is a place where he's teaching. And this one out of the crowd cries out to him, Apparently, there was an uh, issue with the estate. And he cries out to him, and he says, Listen, tell my brother to divide the inheritance the way it's supposed to be. Jesus doesn't even answer the question. Does, uh, can you imagine a guy standing up right now out of the crowd and just saying, Tell my, my brother to, to settle this inheritance issue. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jesus actually addresses his heart. And he says, First of all, who am I? to settle any of this. Then he rebukes them in front of everybody. He says, take heed to guard against covetousness. He says this to everybody, right? Talk about singling them out. For life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. 
life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now listen, he goes on and tells this story about a rich man. Now back in the first century, you didn't have all these institutions, you didn't have huge banks where you get to lock away your possessions, you know, the, the uh, safety deposit boxes and stuff. There was none of that. There wasn't stable currency. There was a lot of storing of grains and of provisions of clothing and, yes, gold. But he talks about this man who had it all. And so this rich man had so much, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones so I can have more and more and more. And listen, I'm going to be so set for the future, I can just live the life of ease. Listen, some of the issues in our heart, living for this world, are about that life of ease. That life of comfort. Well, I can sit back and do nothing if I want. I can do something. I can go here. I can go there. That was what this man said. And Jesus, of course, he says... God responded, you fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, the things that you have entrusted yourself in and rested in and caused your heart to have some peace in, they're not even going to be yours. Whose will they be? Notice what Jesus says. So is the one who lays, who stores, treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Not being rich towards God. This is personal. First and foremost, am I submitted and realizing that God is the greatest treasure and that as I look to him and as I come to him as a manager and say, God, would you be pleased with how I am investing? Show me. Listen, I'm not going to be able to sit here and say, this is what you need to do and that's what you need to do. I mean, there's general principles, but coming before a holy God with everything that you are, your talents, your time, and your treasures to sort that out, that's where true treasure is found. Knowledge of the Holy One, being rich towards God, but also even as we carry these Bibles around and have them in our smartphones and preach about it and teach about it, and share God's word together, we realize that Scripture also talks about truth being the great treasure that we carry. How can I be rich towards God? How can I be laying up for myself treasure on this side of heaven? In reality, it's, it's tied to growth. Growing in the knowledge of the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Paul reminds us that God is the one who spoke into the darkness and said, let the light shine, and there was. We know that in Genesis. But the God who said that at the beginning has also shown in our hearts and given to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. But we have, he says, this treasure, the knowledge of the glory of God, the truth, this treasure in jars of clay. There's a purpose for our weakness. Listen, there's a purpose for our struggle. We are living examples of His grace and of His mercy. He says we hold on to this knowledge and there's in this weakness the purpose to show that it's really Him. It's really the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. What do I have? We mentioned last week 
When Jesus turned to his disciples and said, will you leave me too? Peter's response was, where will we go? You know what I have? The words of truth. You are the one that has the words of truth. Where would we go? This is the greatest treasure. This is the greatest thing. Sometimes we take for granted that. You literally have the truth and the knowledge of God that delivers people from the sting of death and eternity and hell. What will a man give up in exchange for his soul? If a man gains the whole world and yet loses his soul, what profit is it for them? We, we have the key. Let me tell you. Disciples walking up to the temple, a man was lame. He said, give me some money. He said, I don't have any money. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Christ, rise and walk. And he did. What was the greater gift, a little coin or a life-transforming miracle? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But the rest of those passages I'll leave for you to look at, Proverbs chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding we are so blessed to even know Him. I want to ask, am I living life backwards the cart before the horse, if we were to have some transparency in our life as we left this place or came in to church this morning or went down the roads, literally we'd be looking at a world with the, the horse on the wrong side of the cart. Or am I looking ahead and living today in light of that? You know, when we look at all of these things, over and over again, the one thing that comes through is the greatest treasures have to do with people. Over and over and over again. And this is shared. This is one of those things where Jesus, he had nothing. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He was supplied for in every way. Many people gave to help take care of him, but it was that giving and that giving and that giving. People, he invested everything. And as you look at this pattern through the scriptures, it's not even just the New Testament thing. It's everywhere. Even in Exodus chapter 19, God says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession amongst all people. Christ gave his life to redeem people. We're warned over and over and over again, be careful how you treat one another whom Christ redeemed as his own people. Oh, we're so wrapped up in all of these physical things. Malachi chapter 3. God says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make them my treasured possession. When God looks at us, when God looks at this world, at humanity, this is that treasure that echoes into eternity those that are redeemed for him first peter chapter 2 you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possessions isn't it sad that for the sake of our happiness yeah material wealth money other things but certainly even our time and our talents our desires how often do the people around us become the ones that suffer for us to gain what we desire. 
The saddest thing is that one of the greatest treasures that we have around us every day are the very things that we offer on the sacrifice of our own happiness and its pursuits. When I look to life, I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. I look around and say, this life hasn't given me enough. Those around us suffer as we look to grasp at the things that can't answer that. Titus chapter 2. We are looking for our blessed hope, verse 13. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works towards who? Towards others. Towards people. In service to the Lord, as we saw last week, that they would see those and they would glorify our Father who is in heaven. They would see there is something different. Listen, back to that truth, that treasure, the gospel, there really is more to this life. When we actually live it and say, hey, this, this is nothing. How can I bless you? How can I invest in you? Luke chapter 16, and we're not going to turn there this morning for the sake of time. Jesus says, make for yourself friends by means of all of this earthly stuff. You can't hang on to it. It's, it's flowing right through your hands even right now. Make for yourself friends. Invest in others here, and they will welcome you into eternity. The truth is, the only thing eternal in this room right now is each and every one of us. The people that are here will echo into eternity somewhere. So when you pull all this together... Certainly there's more. You know what's crazy? Eternal treasure certainly is this personal relationship and, and a humility before the Lord. It's growing in the truth. It's sharing that with others. The crazy thing is we haven't even dipped our toe. This would be multiple series of, of messages if we were to really look at this. But God rewards us for eternity in this serving him. It's crazy how he gives us and gives us and gives us and gives us as we look to serve him. You know, on the back of your insert there, it's not just an outline of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. It's also a note there about life groups. You might say, how can I invest and lay up for myself treasure in heaven? You know, in October, we're going to be starting these life groups. We do life on life. That, those are investment opportunities. And not just to be there. You don't have to be like, hey, you know what? These people really need me. No, but also to be invested in. When we bring our brokenness and our need and our weakness and others are there for us, it's a blessing not only to us but to them to be there as God's called them to be. This is life on life. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, weak and fragile, that it be shown to be his power and not our own. See, we don't like being vulnerable. It's a step of faith. But it's a great place to make investments. The equip new Sunday school, adult Sunday school class we're going to start in October. Another opportunity for investing. Listen, we have this idea here at First Baptist 
that understands that our children need the whole church, not just a program, not just a time. But if we're truly going to take that as our own and say, listen, we're going to invest as a church, we're going to come along these families and we're going to pour into them, what are we going to do? We'll be hearers and agreeers, our doers. Are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? This equip Sunday, Sunday school, adult Sunday school, starting in October, is going to really be investing in that. There's a lot of opportunities all around us, and it really comes down to my heart's desires, and, and Jesus mentions that. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 21, and going down through, you see this cryptic kind of I don't know if you've read this and thought, what is he talking about? He just jumps out. And you have to understand, Matthew is a very Jewish book. It was the gospel written by Matthew with the Jewish audience in mind. And a lot of these things we've already mentioned are very Jewish things. And we've got a, a few Jewish idioms or sayings here uh, that connect immediately, like we looked at with salt and light. They would have understood the sacrifices with the issue of salt and been like, whoa, okay, Wow. We're all like prophets? Wow. It's a very Jewish, Jewish book. So when he says that the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You know, you'll see. If your eye is healthy, you'll, you'll be able to see, and you won't be bumping into things. Your, your body will be full of light. You'll understand your environment. You'll understand reality. But if your eye is bad or evil, the evil eye... Maybe you got the evil eye this morning getting ready for church. I don't know. It's a little different. We'll talk about that. But if your eye is evil or bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You won't be able to see. You'll be bumping around. You won't have clarity of reality. You'll be feeling around if you are feeling at all or just getting through it. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now let's talk about this healthy versus evil thing. Very, very interesting. This word healthy actually means generous, sincere, having this idea of open-handedness. I've got nothing to hide. I'm just... If you have different translations, you may look at it and realize, yeah, this is one of those words. This is kind of translated differently. Healthy. A lot of people say healthy because the opposite is seen in the text. Evil. But they miss the reality that in, in Matthew, the Jewish audience would be very, very understanding in Proverbs. Chapter 28, you can write this down, it's not in your notes. Chapter 28, verse 22, that speaks about the one who's stingy, literally the one who has an evil or covetous eye. The Hebrew evil eye. And so when Jesus is talking about this and he uses a Greek word that talks about being generous and in a, in a Jewish setting says the one who has an evil eye is full of darkness, he's connecting with their understanding really of generosity versus covetousness which is something that only scripture and only our lord can do in an amazing context where he says listen when you're generous when you have this idea of just openness it, what's mine is yours listen we're going to sit down to a meal you want to join us i'd love to talk i may not have a whole bunch to give you but you want to ride i can give you that it's this attitude of service versus self You'll see clearly. You know, one of the things I pray for us, for others, for me, is that God would give us vision to see people the way he sees them. What Jesus is saying here is that when we are not focused on ourself and what we can gain and what we can, what can somehow 
squeeze out of this moment, out of this life for us, we see things differently. I, I love Jesus when he looked at that rich young ruler. And it says after all this, he kept the whole law. Right, okay. It says he looked at him and he loved him. And he went and told them, there's something that stands between you and true righteousness following me. You're stuck in all this worldly stuff. Get rid of it and you'll have it. Not because you got rid of it, because you'll finally get that out of your way so you can have me and true discipleship. This is a matter of the heart. And the truth is, when we're focused on self, we're very blinded. You see, the desires of our life my desires, what I want. Am I this vortex of the whole world pointing to me and I consume on what I desire that focuses everything else? You're given a gift. Does it meet your expectations? You're given a day. Was it good enough? You're given a family. In the moment of gaining whatever we want, there's joy and after which there's desire. Listen, this is one of the struggles in our own hearts and life, and even as believers, I'm not saying that we aren't here as a church body that isn't investing. That's not true. But even in my own life, there are so many times when I get pulled into a place where I tell you what, our affections get pulled away, our focuses get pulled away. So quickly drawn into the things of this world, and I won't see reality. How do I want to use my time? How do I want to use my talents? How am I going to use the possessions that God has given to me? You know, as we think about this desire, you cannot serve two masters. We're going to hate one or love the other. Even as I speak about these things, there may be some in here that are saying, well, you, you, you don't understand my time. My schedule. There's some that aren't even here today because of their schedule. And I'm not castigating them. We all have schedules. We can't be here all the time. I get that. But listen, the, the pattern of our life, I can't be involved in life groups. I can't be involved in Sunday school. I got places to be. My talents, you don't understand my career path. My treasures, you don't know my car payments. Things rust away. You got to get a new one. Listen, as we think about these desires and who we are serving in them, I'm reminded of Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Truly, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon unpacks all of this. The desires of the world and the realities of the foolishness of focusing on that. What are my priorities? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth and property. Am I investing in that service of the Lord or am I caught in these patterns of trying to find my own happiness? It really comes down to service or self. It's as simple as that. 
Do I exist because God has called me to serve Him and serve others? Or do I exist so that others can serve what I desire? 1 Timothy chapter 6, I mentioned it earlier, sorts some of this out for us. Because the truth is, we, we are very rich. In the history of the world, in the placement of the world, comprehensively, we are these that Paul instructs in verse 17, the rich in this present age. How do I deal with these matters of the heart? Not that you can't enjoy it. Not at all. Not that we can't enjoy the things that he's given to us, the vacations, the talents that we enjoy using. God's created us to do that. The time we can spend. He tells us, He gives all these things for us to enjoy. But he says, listen, do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of these things. Do not build your life as if these things are the center of your life and existence. But instead on God, he does give everything for us to enjoy. Yes, do that. But we are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Living life backwards, when we think about that which truly is life that lay ahead, everything looks different. If we don't, we'll run through this life straight in regards to the world, but in light of eternity, Doing it all backwards. Self, first, service, sometime. Now for the sake of time, let's jump ahead to to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, because we do need to look at this. Listen, faith puts first in focus. Now, we don't have time to read through all of this, and I'll leave it to you, and you can see how it, it fits into kind of the flow But if if you look at this, you realize he's saying, do not worry about what you're going to have. These are the common things. These are the needful things every single day. He says, "Look look around. God feeds the birds of the air, verse 27. God clothes the grass of the field. Are you not more valuable than he? Are you not more valuable than they? O you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious. Verse 33, though. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these necessary things will be added to you. I think about this all the time. But listen, there's a million things we could be doing. There truly are. I hear these words echo in my own heart. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Do not worry. Trust him. Give and it will be given to you. Share and he will provide for you. In wisdom, yes. In provision, yes. But what he's saying is these are anxiety-free investments. And listen, we miss some of the implications of this statement. These people that are listening to him, literally, almost every single one of them, other than probably the Pharisees and those very rich, live day to day. They worked for the money that they used to buy their meal for the day. And so when he's saying to them, be generous and give. Don't worry about 
having enough to eat. That's a big thing. You're like, that's funny because I'm, I'm hungry right now. He's saying don't worry. He knows that you have need of it. Put him first. And he'll sort it all out. Listen, if there's one word I'd ask you, to, it's not in your notes, to write down today. It's intentional. It's intentional. How do I invest in eternal things? It's intentional. Listen, I could be doing everything the same in my life, but when I look and see the people that I have contact with, the difference between just having a meal and sharing a moment are very different. We're about ready to go out and share a meal together, and it's great. VBS is a great example of internal investments and sacrifice and servants that, that invest in all of these things. And then we got a great opportunity of doing the same as we look to invest in one another over a meal. You, you can go and eat and be filled. I hope you do. I'm sure it's great. I look forward to doing that with you. But if you realize eternal investments is more than just food in the belly, but it's fellowship in the time given to us, you know, connecting and investing in one another, that's eternal. A meal is just a moment. Intentional in our relationships. Intentional when we wake up in the morning and the whole of the world is crushing on us and we're fearful and we're depressed and we say, listen, what has this world gotten me, this life? Intentional as we turn our focus to God and say, no, this is service. This is valuable. I'm going to redeem the day. I'm going to serve others. And let me tell you, there's great blessing. And it changes our clarity of what we see. Great blessing. I'll leave you with a little illustration. I was sitting by our pool. You know, we have a pool now. It's first year learning about it. Last year, we found out it had a hole in it. So we fixed the one hole we knew about. We were filling it up, and it was doing great for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, the water level just dropped. I, I don't know. Does that much evaporate? I didn't know. Well, I filled it up again. It took a while. And it was low again the next morning. I said, something's not right. We must have a hole. Well, it took a while. I found the hole. Fi fixed the hole. And all of a sudden, it held water. But I was thinking about it sitting next to the pool yesterday. Realizing, you know, life is a lot like this pool. The difference is we can't fix the hole. The water just flows right out. So you're like me, you got the garden hose, you don't want to overtax the, the well, you know, you got a little bit at a time, but you're trying to fill it up. And you get so anxious over the fact that you can't fill up the pool, that's all you do. You sit there, you know, you're turning the spigot on, let it run, see it come up a little bit. There's a lot of folks that are obsessed in this life about just getting that pool full. And then there's others that say, wait a minute, listen, it's never going to be full, but I'm going to enjoy it. So they're just running the water. The water is flowing out the bottom in that hole they can't fix. But you know what? We're going to make the most of it. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. We're going to enjoy this pool. Yeah, sometimes people, they're not fretting about it. They're just rolling with it. They don't want to think about that. You know, the truth is God's given to us a great opportunity. You see, on the other side of the pool is this huge amount of ground that's pretty damp well watered and what he's telling us effectively is listen go plant a garden yes these things flow through your life no they're not don't just hang out in the pool yeah go play in the pool you plant the garden it waters it's flourishing you weed it hang out in the pool 
But there's so much more to that water than just fretting over what's going to happen or frittering away the opportunity and your time in it. Lay up for yourself true treasures. God would have us plant. I'm going to leave you to read John 4 on your own. There Jesus says to his disciples, I have bread that you don't realize is doing the will of my Father. Lift your eyes up and look at the harvest as those that came out. Gentiles came out to hear the gospel. You're so obsessed with what you're going to eat. Look at those souls. The harvest truly is great. I hope that's our thought. Galatians chapter 6, and I'm going to say this to everyone here, so faithful, so generous, so sacrificial. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Galatians chapter 6. For in due season, you will reap. We're so blessed to be able to be on this path together. I hope and pray this is encouraging to you as you consider your investments. I know it certainly is convicting to me and our intentionality. Let's look to plant today and every other day what God's called us to invest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'd give us wisdom. The truth is, so much of our lives we've been living backwards. We've followed after the patterns of the world. We get sucked back into the perspectives of having, of self. In fact, in our hearts, we even accuse you of not doing enough. In our hearts, we hear the echoes of this world saying somehow this nation is broken. That's why there's no happiness. We look to those around us and blame others. But Lord, we know that you are the one that has redeemed us from darkness. You've called us into the light, the knowledge of you, the knowledge of the truth. We pray that you'd give us wisdom, that your spirit would convict us when our affections are different, when we're realizing we're serving another master and not you, and, and building our house on the sands of this world instead. I pray that you'd help us even today redeem the time. And we thank you in advance in your son's name. Amen.